God's word is clear. There are only two options for mankind as his life comes to an end. And those two options are heaven and hell. The difference between the two is Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Only two options. And I've heard a lot over the last several weeks and being at a funeral and hearing of other funerals and I get a lot of different feedback and everyone has their idea or what they think is going to happen, their own opinions, their own views of what the afterlife, afterlife might look like. But the reality is this, there are only two options and it's heaven or hell and the only option or the only deciding factor between the two is Jesus Christ. And I hope, and I, as I, as I, with all my heart, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I hope that you'll choose Him. I hope that you'll say, I need Jesus. So, without any further delay, I want to talk about the second message in this series. Last week we talked about the One. And that's God Himself. He's the One and Only. And we saw passage after passage after passage of how God says, I am the only one. And as we come into the New Testament, we see that Jesus Christ paid the price. And it was He who went to the cross of Calvary that shed His blood so that you and I might have forgiveness of sin, so that you and I could spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ. And it's not just to get out of uh, hell escape card. It is a lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ, living a life that is pleasing and acceptable to Him. That's what makes the difference. And so this week we're going to talk about the second sermon in the series, the one who found the one. And maybe many of you sitting in the congregation this morning can say, I am that one. I am the one who found the one. I am the one who has got a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's you, praise God. We have no greater joy. We have no greater gift than that. Amen? So, let me share several verses with you as we get started this morning. The first one is in John chapter 3 and verse 3. It says, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So right off the bat, we have to have understanding that you must know Jesus Christ as your Savior. It says, except a man be born again. There's the idea that we are born once physically, but we also have to be born into God's family spiritually. And we talk a lot about that around here, but what does that mean? We're going to get into that a little bit later in the service. But you have to understand this. If you're visiting with with us here today, and maybe you're not a regular tender, maybe you are, but the reality is this. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, heaven will not be your eternal home. And that's a really startling uh, fact. It's not something that I said. It's not something that we as a church said. In fact, it's not something that any church can say. It's something that God's Word has said and stressed amongst us. So let me get back to that idea that, once again, that people have a lot of ideas on what it's going to look like in the afterlife. A lot of people say, well, there's a lot of roads and we're all going to eventually get there. No, we're not. We won't all end up in heaven, unfortunately. A lot of people are going to do a lot of good things and it's not going to get them any closer to heaven. It's not by being a Baptist or a Lutheran or Church of God, Church of Christ or Methodist or any other religion under the sun. It's about being born again into the family of God. To know Him as your Lord and Savior. Not about what I feel. Not about what I think. Not what about I hope happens. But about the concrete evidence that is found in God's Word where He says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, These things have I written unto you who believe that you may what? Know that you have eternal life. 
That's what it's about. That's where our concrete evidence is. And before we get any further, I know that uh, John MacArthur made this statement years ago. He said one of the most uh, 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 critical things that can happen in, in the life of a person who attends church for many years, for year after year after year, is the idea that the pastor opens a book, he gets on a theme, and people get back in their seat and say, oh, I've heard that before, and they kind of go in coast mode. Let me remind you, don't go in coast mode this morning. Don't do it. You may be sitting here, I've heard this message a thousand times in my life. Don't go into coast mode this morning. Because this message is important. This is the very message that is at the core of this season that we are in. Amen? So don't go into coast mode. Understand that we do have the truth in front of us. We have the Word of God. We have the answer. And therefore, we can have the hope. We don't have to guess. We don't have to think. We don't have to wish. We can know. But he says, I assure you, and he says that with confidence in John 3, 3, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Other people live for the things of this world. If I can just attain, if I can just do the things that are important to me, if I can have a lifestyle that, is, that, is, that, that brings me joy and me comfort and, and, and it's all about me. And, and God's word answers that in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, he says this, for what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his own life? So if we get to the end of our life and we say, I've got all these things, and yet I don't have Jesus Christ, your eternal destiny is hell. So it doesn't matter if I can gain the whole world. You say, well, I'd like to have a little bit more of the world. Well, join the crowd. So would the rest of us. But getting the things of this world are not going to get you any closer to a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. I mean, let's get that in our minds, guys and gals. Let's think about this just for a moment. There is a way that seems right to us. And all of us has an opinion. But if our opinion is not God's Word, once again, it's null and void. And so we live in a world where people are always worried about number one and how it pleases me and how it affects me and how I can take the next step in my own personal gain and my own personal wealth and my, my own personal position and all these things. If I don't have Jesus, even though it's a way that seems right to me, it's the wrong way. And it's going to end to death. And this is the one thing that we need to remember. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, and just as it is appointed to people, for people to die once, after this, the judgment. There will come a day where we will stand before God, and every one of us will stand before God. And we will give an account. But the bigger picture is, will our name be found written in the Lamb's book of life? And I know for many of us sitting in the pew this morning, and sitting in the chairs this morning, you can say this, well, I, I've done that, I'm, I'm good. My name's in the roster. I'm, I'm settled. I'm on my way to heaven. Then does our life represent that? Does our life reflect a life of living with Jesus Christ daily? I don't know about you, but there's this idea amongst many people is that, wow, I'm in Christ, so therefore I'm a new person. And absolutely true, that is. But it's a lifelong process of growing in Him. And we're going to get that in just a moment. But for the sake of the sermon today, I want to make a point regarding finding Jesus. I understand the theological implication of that phrase, finding Jesus. But here's my point. 
There is a huge difference in the life of one who finds Jesus and the one who doesn't find Jesus. There is a massive difference between those two. And the difference is Jesus. So finding Jesus, for sake of illustration this morning, is not turning over a new leaf. It's not the idea that I'm going to try Jesus in this new year. In fact, just this morning I saw some of that on Facebook, that people are trying Jesus as they come into this season. And the reality is that you can't try Jesus. It's not a demo that they're sending out in all the mailboxes and see if you like it or not. It's not a smorgasbord so you can take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and leave that alone. It's either you have him or you don't. You either have all of him or you have none of him. Get that in your mind for a minute. It's not an idea that I can just come and, come as, come and go as I please and choose a little bit of this and a little bit of that and I'm all good. I mean, I, I said the prayer so I'm on my way to heaven. It's not like that. It is simple enough that a child can understand it. In fact, last night I was telling somebody, I can remember asking Jesus into my life as though I did it three minutes ago. And I was a child. And I'm so thankful that God made it simple enough that I could understand that. But yet it's not just saying a prayer. Many of us can remember saying a prayer. But what does the life give evidence to? I love what Ailey said a couple weeks ago when he was here, when Sonia and Ailey were here. And he said when jihadists come into the village, they do one of several things. Number one thing that they do is they first go to the house of the Christians. And they ask them to, re- to recant. And if they're not willing to recant, they have to pay higher taxes. And if they're not willing to pay higher taxes, then they have to move out of the city. And if they're not willing to move out of the city, then the fourth option is that they're going to be killed. But here's my bigger question. How do they know where the Christians are? How do they know which houses are those of believers and those that are not? What would be our reputation? If we claim the name of Jesus Christ in our life, what is the evidence of that in our life? What is the evidence of truly knowing Jesus Christ? Is it just showing up at church? Is it just putting a a couple dollars in the offering plate saying I did my duty for the month? Is it showing up on that workday once a month or once a year to the church and say, oh, I did my thing? What does it mean to really give evidence of walking with Jesus Christ? I'll tell you what it is. It's living it out day after day after day. It's the idea that when you have a big fight in your house, you deal with it as a believer. You don't just hang up up the, the gloves and say, I'm done, I'm over, walking away and be done with it forever. You deal with it as Jesus Christ would deal with it. When someone wrongs you, you show love, you show forgiveness, even though in your flesh you don't want to. Trust me, right now I want to go to Texas and find the uh, progressive dealer, the agent. I want to find them. They're not helping me. In my flesh I want to rip someone's head off. In in godly love, of course. Um, But a Christian lives out his faith daily. It's not just a prayer that you prayed sometime in the past and now it's all set and done and over with and therefore I'm on my way to heaven. I would dare say if that's what it is to you, you're not on your way to heaven. So that's a pretty strong statement. Yeah, it is. Because your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You've heard me say that numerous times in the past. Actions speak louder than words. God's word says, be a doer of the word and not hear only, lest you what? There you go, lest you deceive yourself. So what is the evidence 
of the fact that I say I'm a child of God. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not a decision to get religion. Because religion doesn't save. Religion sends people to hell. There is a world full of people who have religion. There are denominations that boast hundreds of thousands of followers. But if they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they're no closer to heaven than they were the day they signed up. Finding Jesus is not going to church in and of itself. Finding Jesus is not just praying occasionally or reading your Bible on occasion. Finding Jesus, quote-unquote, is a daily walk. It's a relationship that doesn't end. It's day after day after day. Living out your faith in a real world. And that's not easy, by the way. If you think it's easy, I don't know what world you live in. I mean, if you ever had kids, that'll, that'll be a stressor. You ever had a financial problem? That'll be a stressor. You ever had a car accident? That'll be a stressor. Living out your faith is not easy. But it's, what, it's what's required of us. But however, finding Jesus is realizing that you are a sinner and that your sin has separated you from God. Do you understand that? It's not just the initial time though when I first gave my life to Christ and I said, well, blanketly, a blanket statement that I'm just giving away every sin, that I'm, I'm going to ask forgiveness once and for all, carte blanche, I never have to deal with it again, I'm just forgiven. No, it's not like that. I don't know about you, but I sin more than I want to. Anyone else kind of in that? Two hands and a foot? Sin a little bit more than you want to? Some days you have a bad attitude and you know it. Sometimes you have unjustified anger and you know it. Sometimes you're selfish and you know it. Sometimes you live in a dream world and you know it. Wake up, get back to reality. You're a sinner. And walking with Jesus, realizing that your sin separates you. If you're not a child of God, it separates for all eternity. If you are a child of God, it breaks fellowship with God because sin separates us. So you have to deal with it day in and day out. It's coming to a realization that God loved you so much that He sent His only Son to pay sin's debt because you couldn't pay it yourself. Think about that. That your sin separated you from God and you could do nothing in and of yourselves to get rid of that sin debt. And Jesus Christ went to the cross and nailed Himself to the cross willingly. And shed his blood that you and I might have forgiveness of sin. And we flippantly, I think far too often, don't have the same view of sin that God has of sin. Sin separates. Sin breaks fellowship. Sin has consequences. Finding Jesus is repenting of your sin and placing your faith in his finished work on the cross and calling him to be your savior. We often call this the ABCs of salvation. If you're here with us this morning, can I just review that with you real quickly in 10 seconds? A is to admit that you're a sinner. Well, how do I find Jesus? A, admit that you're a sinner. We're all sinners. He that says he is not, has no sin is, deceives himself and calls God a liar. We're all sinners. If you've ever stolen, cheated, lied, list goes on for eternity, you're a sinner. Are you willing to admit that you're a sinner? B, Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. 
It's very simple. Christ died on the cross. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. He died on the cross. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrated his love toward us in this way that he sent his only Son to die on the cross. Jesus Christ died to pay a sin debt that you and I could not pay. And then letter C. It's twofold. Confess your sins. Romans 10.9 says For with the mouth confession is made but with the heart or with the mouth confession is made and with the heart one believes and verse 13 says for whosoever would call on the name of the Lord would be saved it's a simple prayer Lord I admit that I'm a sinner but I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and Lord I confess that Lord I repent of my sin I confess that you did exactly for me what you said you did and I call on you to be my savior I put my faith and trust in you a simple prayer starts a lifelong relationship with him. Have you done that? Is there a time in your life where you said, I can't do this on my own. I trust Jesus to do what I can't do. It's, it's a start of a relationship. So what happens when I do find Jesus? What happens when I quote-unquote find Jesus and Jesus becomes a part of my life and I put my faith and trust in him? Well, according to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17... He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. You're a new creation in Christ. Isn't that awesome? He changes us from what we once were to what he wants us to be. Can I just make one side point with this? And I want to jump on it real hard if I can. It doesn't happen overnight for a lot of people. Sometimes we have this idea that, well, I'm saved now, and all my bad habits are gone. No, they're not. I don't know what world you live in. And to have that expectation is not fair. When sometimes people get saved, they don't understand everything. They don't understand it all at once. I can remember, I'll tell you this story, when I remember, as I said, I can remember like it happened three minutes ago the day I gave my life to Christ. I remember I heard the gospel message and I prayed a prayer and I remember giving my life to Christ and saying, God, I trust you. Well, the next day I was going to school and I don't remember what I did. It could have been any number of things, but I got in trouble from my dad. And my dad commenced to give me a little tongue lashing in the back seat of the car. I was five years old. I remember it like it happened two minutes ago. My dad commenced to give me a chewing out for something I did. I don't even remember what it was. But all of a sudden, I started praying, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. Please forgive me of my sins. And my dad turned around and goes, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm getting saved again. He said, why are you doing that? And I said, because I just got in trouble. In my five-year-old mind, I got in trouble. I had to get saved again. Why? I didn't know. What I needed to do is say, Dad, I'm sorry. And God, please forgive me for what I've done wrong. But I didn't know. There are times that I know that there are people in this congregation that have said, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. And then two weeks later, we have an opportunity <clears throat> to have an invitation, and they raise their hand again and say, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. And two months down the road, those, I want to put my faith in Why do they keep doing it? I think sometimes it's because we don't understand. And I think it's a second reason, and I think shame on the church for this. When someone does make the decision, there's not enough people to come along the side of them saying, let me help you grow in Christ. There's an area of ministry that any number of us could get involved in. 
when someone does put their faith and trust in Christ, who is there to help them grow? Who is there to help them get anchored in their faith? Who is there to teach them the Word of God so that they can begin to get settled in their faith of being a follower of Christ? We've done a terrible job at that at times, folks. I'm not talking just about harvest. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. And I think that's, this is my opinion, but I think that's why a lot of people, you know people, who have been here, who are excited, and now they're gone, and we don't know where they're at, and we don't really, frankly, care. They were here at one time, but now they're not. Oh, well, they must have just got ticked off at somebody. What would have been different if somebody would have taken them aside and helped them learn and grow and get settled in their faith? Folks, we have got to step up to the plate if we know Jesus. We have got to start making ourselves available. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And then you get this next phrase. All things have passed away. The life I lived before Christ should not be the same as the life I live in Christ. Amen? There should be a difference. There ought to be a difference. And if there's not, something's wrong. And if I can say that I'm a child of God and still live like the world, something is wrong. There has to be a difference. Because if we're no different than the world, why would the world want what we say we have? Think about that. Let that sink in. If there's no difference between us, why would they want what we've got? What difference does it make? So we're going put to the, put the feather in the cab and say, I'm on my way to heaven, so that just changes everything? No. Got to live it out daily. There has to be a difference. And Romans chapter 6, verse 4 illustrates this. We therefore were buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. What are we saying here? When we publicly identify ourselves with Christ as being a follower of Christ, and we take that step of baptism, and then we go under the water, we are crucifying the old man, the old lifestyle, who we were before Christ. And as we come up out of the water, it says we are walking in newness of life. We've put to death the old man. Now we're someone new in Christ. We're a new creation, right? It's a change that happens. Everything changes when Christ is a part of our life. So finding Jesus doesn't mean everything is going to be perfect. You ever thought about that? Finding Jesus doesn't mean everything is going to be perfect. How many wish some things were better in your life? On how many are lying about wanting some things that are different than your life? There you go. There's the other half. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 9 if you would. <clears throat> I love this passage. Talk about a change in a person's life. I can't even find my book. Here we go. Talk about a change. Talk about a change of attitude, a change of lifestyle. But I want you to know this. Things are not going to be perfect just because you put your faith in Christ. In fact, one of the songs that I love to hate is from one of my favorite all-time artists. I love the cathedrals. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a quartet guy at heart. I love Southern Gospel. One of my favorite groups is the cathedrals. And uh, I can remember, uh, you know, when we were just married, I, I've probably been to eight or nine cathedral concerts over the years before they all retired and started passing away. I loved them. But they had one dumb song, Sunshine and Roses. The dumbest song I've ever heard in my life. But now it's all Sunshine and Roses. It is not. It is not Sunshine and Roses. It's hard work at times. 
I wonder what Saul would have thought of that. Verse 1, and I'm going to book through it, so just hang on. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Let me give you a paraphrase of that. Saul wanted special permission to find anybody who claimed to be a Christian and bring them back and put them under trial. Good times in Jerusalem, right? I mean, sign me up. I want to be found a Christian and I hope Saul finds me, right? No. Paul or Saul is ticked off at believers. He doesn't want them to, to prosper. And he's getting special permission just to take care of them. Verse 3. So as he's traveled... Uh, as he is traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Isn't that amazing that he knew who it was? Lord, he said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So he took him by the hand and led him to Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. So he's there, and he has this encounter with God. God gets his attention. God gets a hold of his uh, mind, and he doesn't know what's going on just yet. Verse 10. So there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord. He said, get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Since he is praying there, in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so he might again regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people uh, about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the, from the chief priest to arrest all who called your name. How many want to be Saul or be uh, Ananias right there at that moment? Because Saul has a reputation of being not a nice guy, right? He's just not a nice guy. Um, uh, Lord, um, do you, do you, do you understand what you're asking me to do? I mean, this this guy's got permission to take care of us. I mean, just go. But but Lord, are you sure you want me to go? Yeah, I'm sure. Verse 15. I love this. But the Lord said to him, "Go." For this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and the Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So let me ask this question. God is getting a hold of Saul's heart. He's not a nice guy. He's got a reputation. The bottom line is this. Is Saul going to have an easy life? Yes or no? (laughs) I think that word suffer kind of has a negative connotation. I'm just thinking out loud here. But he says, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer. But wait a minute. He's about to give his life to Christ. Doesn't doesn't that mean it's going to get easier? No, it doesn't mean that. But God was with him. And now I don't have to go through life alone. I have someone to go through life with me. His name is Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that indwells me. He says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias left and entered the house. And and let me just say from Ananias' perspective, is life easy as a Christian for him? No. He's got to do some difficult things. He has to do some tough stuff. So 
yeah, finding Jesus doesn't mean everything is going to be perfect. So Ananias left and entered the house. Then he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road we were traveling, he has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once something like scales fell from his eyes and regained his sight. Then he got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And then here's the difference. Next verse. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some days. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. Think about this just for a moment. Two options. Heaven or hell. The difference between the two? Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ changes everything. He went from one who persecuted believers to one who was now proclaiming who Jesus Christ was or who God was. See, if you truly know Jesus Christ, if you found the one, everything has changed. Everything. You can no longer live as you were living. You must have a different life. And if you're truly honest with yourself, you have to ask this question, is my life different because I claim Jesus Christ? Do I still act like the world acts? Do I still talk as the world talks? Do I still have the same personality and the traits that this world has who doesn't know Jesus? If there's no change, if there's no difference, I have to ask myself whether whether or not I really have him. Because when Jesus enters the life, there's a change. There is a change that takes place. In verse 21, But all who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man who in Jerusalem was destroying those who called on this name and then came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? And here's the thing, verse 22, It wasn't just a a, a one-time experience that all of a sudden is just done and over with. Verse 22. Saul grew more capable and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this one is the Messiah. The more he proclaimed, the bolder he became, the stronger his faith was. Some of you say, well, I just don't have the boldness. I don't have a courage. Remember the first day on the job of where you work? Remember that first day on the job? It doesn't matter where you work. You didn't really know anybody around you. You knew there were some other coworkers. They might be in that cubicle, and they're over in that section, or they're part of this department. You didn't really know anybody, and you kind of just kind of did your own thing, kind of kept to yourself. But over time, you kind of met that one person, and then soon another one, and then another one, and pretty soon you're all friends. The more you talk to them, the more you spend time with them, the more you got to know them. What happened? Over and over and over and over again, you became more confident around those people that you didn't know once you spent more time with them. Can I just say it's no different with Jesus Christ? The more you talk about them, the more you share them, the easier it becomes. It will become natural if you do it. But if you pretend and convince yourself and deceive yourself that you can't do it, you never will. The more he did it, the more capable he became. Someone said, practice makes perfect. It doesn't make perfect, it makes permanent. 
The more you do it, the more it becomes permanent. You may never be perfect. One more thing here. Verse 23. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. Wait a minute. He just gave his life to Christ. Why would people be trying to kill him? Because he's no longer part of their group. There will be people who don't understand your commitment. And he says this, But their plot became known to Saul, so they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. God protected him, and God will protect you. Over and over. So Paul, Saul went from having his life threatened, to Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is what? Cain. How can you go from one who is killing those who are followers of Christ to become a follower of Christ, to have your own life threatened and the suffering that he is going to undertake? We don't have time to get into all the ways that he suffered. But to get to that place where he said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is Cain. Because Jesus changes what? Everything. When you find the one, you'll never be the same. I want to look at one more passage. i got several more here, but I'm not going to take the time to do it. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 8 through 11. It says, it's, there's a whole back story to the text here and I'm kind of jumping in the middle and I apologize that for that but I want you to get to the point verse 8 it says instead you act unjustly and cheat and you do this to believers don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom do not be deceived no sexually immoral people idolaters adulterers or anyone practicing homosexuality no thieves greedy people Drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. I love this phrase. And some of you used to be like this. Some of you used to be like this. What's that mean? It's in the past. In other words, there's been a change that has taken place. You no longer act like this. Now you act like this. Jesus has changed everything. And he goes on and says, And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I'm going to ask John Salmon to come up just for a moment and share his salvation testimony and how God worked in his life. But I want you to think about this as he's coming. What changes in your life because of God doing a work and calling you to be one of his children.